We'll be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. We made it through 14 last week, praise the Lord. We covered a lot of ground in chapter 14, but we are moving on and and really shifting gears considerably from what we had been uh, talking about. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll start in verse 1, give everybody a second to get there. First Corinthians 15 verse 1. When you get it, say got it. Got it. All right, praise the Lord. That's great. We have we have concluded a lot of a lot of talk that Paul had been doing about different spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues, and great detail he had talked about in chapter 14 and chapter 13. And uh, in chapter 15, he kind of shifts gears from that. In chapter 15, we have, in my opinion, what is uh, one of the best chapters in all of the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the significance of that. And he really goes into great detail about the resurrection of Jesus and why it is significant uh, for the people of Corinth, but also for us too. Now we have to realize as we look at these verses that it would appear as though there were some questions that the people of Corinth had about resurrection. Uh, whether people were going to be resurrection or resurrected, perhaps whether Jesus himself had been resurrected. And Paul really starts off at the first part of, of chapter 15, really making that point and driving it home that there is great significance to Jesus Christ being resurrected. And if Jesus hadn't been resurrected, then we are hopeless. And that's what we will get to in a couple of weeks. But that gives you an idea of what to expect over the next couple of months as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This morning, however, we will read the first 11 verses as he kind of uh, gets us, builds this foundation and kind of uh, establishes where he's going to be preaching from and, and going from over these next uh, few verses throughout chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, then he appeared to over 5,000 or 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am not the least, for, excuse me, for I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them. Yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for these words. We thank you for this 
powerful message, this, this gospel, this good news that is Jesus Christ, dear Lord. We thank you for what Paul is reminding us of here. Dear Lord, the message that we have heard and hopefully we have believed. But God, there may be some in this room that have not heard this message. Or maybe they've heard this message and have not believed it. God, I pray that today, that through your word, that the Holy Spirit would move in this place, dear Lord. That there would be conviction in our hearts if there needs to be, dear Lord. Perhaps it's a turning from a, a sin that we are committing, God. Perhaps for some it is turning to Jesus Christ because they never have before. And so I pray that as we look at these words today, God, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me, that you would humble me, God, that you would hide me behind the cross, dear Lord, that you and you alone would be glorified through the preaching and teaching of this word this morning. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul is, is, is making this foundation. I say making. He's, he's preached about Jesus all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians and he's preached about Jesus through every letter that he has written. Now that's the first thing that we need to notice as we look at these scriptures today. Everything that Paul does and everything that Paul talks about is built on Jesus Christ. Everything that he does is always about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is at the center of everything. And it should not be that way just for Paul or just for anybody who is preaching and teaching. It should be that way for anyone who is a follower and believer in Jesus Christ. Anyone who is a Christian that has made Jesus their Lord and Savior who have accepted him, Jesus should be at the center of everything. Now oftentimes in our life we may want to put other things at the center. And perhaps other people at the center. And then we try to squeeze Jesus into that wherever we can. But Paul reminds us through the scripture uh, simply because of the fact that every time it seems like Paul begins to speak, he is preaching about Jesus. He is talking about Jesus. He is making sure that Jesus is at the center of everything that he does and everything that he preaches. Now the same should be true for you and I. If there is anyone who calls themselves a Christian, uh, there should be, you should be able to see Jesus in their life. There should be some mention of Jesus. We see many religious organizations today and many religious groups today, uh, but Jesus is not even mentioned. Jesus is not what is central. Jesus is just some other person. Jesus is not even acknowledged as the Son of God, but here... Paul makes a firm foundation, and there's no question as to who is at the center of this message, who Paul puts everything on, who everything should be on, the one who has taken everything for us, and that is Jesus Christ. And he is making that point to the people before he goes into this preaching and this teaching about the resurrection and the significance uh, that, it, that it has. He says uh, here, we see that he is speaking to Christian people. He is encouraging them to, to continue to believe what is right. They, uh, he has dealt with this all through the, the book of 1 Corinthians. They were involved in things and doing things or maybe had misinterpreted things or maybe uh, didn't clearly understand or maybe they were just being disobedient. And all throughout 1 Corinthians, we've seen Paul deal with and correct certain things that have taken place. And here he is correcting their view on the resurrection. Now he goes through, and very simply here, uh, starting in verse 3, he begins to tell them what he is passing on to them. 
And he doesn't just say, hey, let me tell you this good bit of advice. Let me tell you something that you may want to hear. He says, no, I'm passing on to you what is most important. In verse 3, he says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Now, Paul realized that he has received this grace. He realized that he has received this message. Uh, and those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have received this message too. It was given to us as a gift. It was not something that we earned. And we have received freely, and therefore we give freely. This is not a message of good news that we keep bottled up, or at least we shouldn't. We shouldn't want to keep these things that we see in Scripture, what God has done in our life, bottled up. But instead, we as Christians are to be on mission. We are to take what we have received, that which is most important, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are to take that and we are to give it to others, just as Paul is doing here with the Corinthian people. He is passing on to them what is most important. What is most important? He very simply explains to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and what they need to know. First, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, that is an important thing that we need to realize. There may be some of you in this room that have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to know that Jesus died for your sins. He died to pay the price for your sins. He died so that you could be forgiven. Now, Paul is not just making this point and saying Christ died for our sins, but instead he says, according to the Scripture, as the Scriptures had said. Now, he's speaking to people who probably would have known these Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament scriptures, and they would have known the prophecies that there was coming a Messiah. And he says, according to the scripture, according to what was already said, Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills that. He is the one who has died for the forgiveness of your sins. And so he's giving his hearers some, some proof. Go back and check it. Go back and read. Go back and look at the old text. Go back and look at what the Scripture said and see that He is the one that they talk about and know that the one that is talked about is the one who brings forgiveness of sins and who died so that could take place. And that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. In verse 4 he says that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Again, Paul is saying, I'm not just making this stuff up. Look at what the Scripture says. Uh, look at what has taken place. So he, he points out that Jesus died for our sins. That's crucial. That's something that we have to accept and we have to realize if we're going to come to Jesus for forgiveness. But then he goes on to point out that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Now, this is a crucial thing that he needs to point out to the Corinthians there based on what he is about to get into in the verses that will soon follow over the next few weeks. The struggle that they had was over the resurrection. He is reminding them that Jesus has been resurrected, that death did not have the final say that Jesus was not just some lunatic who talked about being raised but never came back to life. But instead, he is telling them, the Scriptures have proclaimed it. Jesus Christ died, it was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And then in verse 5, he says, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. So he gives some more proof. 
If you don't believe what I'm saying, listen to this. When he came back to life, when he was raised from the dead on the third day, when he came out of the tomb, it's not just a story that's been made up. He says there, have, there are hundreds of people that can verify this. Anybody, uh, perhaps Ernest knows better than any of us, that if you're trying to get to the bottom of the story, uh, you want to find evidence. You want to find uh, sources that can back up. If you find enough sources that can verify what you're talking about, then it is probably true. And I think what Paul was doing here is he was saying, look, here are all these sources. Look, there are hundreds of people who can attest to this. Some of them have died, he said. He says falling asleep, but he means they have died. But he said most of them are still living. So there are still hundreds of people that can verify, oh yes, Jesus Christ did raise from the grave. And so Paul is, is, is building this. He's giving them proof. He's letting them know that this took place. This is not just the disciples that he appeared to. This is not just his closest followers who may, uh, who, who may be making this story up because they don't want to look like idiots. He's saying, no, there are plenty of people who have seen Jesus Christ and that he has been raised from the dead. He goes on to say in verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. So Paul is saying, look, it, it, even, even my testimony, I'm telling you that Jesus Christ himself appeared to me. Now, Paul came from a rough background, as he goes on to say. He said, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not ineffective. Now, Paul says, I by no means should have received the grace of God. I was, I was as bad as they come. I was persecuting the church. Paul was seeing to it that Christians were arrested. He was there holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen as Stephen was trying to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul was right there amongst them. And as one abnormally born, he says, uh, Jesus Christ appeared to him and he was born again because he trusted in Jesus Christ upon that magnificent event that occurred when Jesus appeared to Paul personally. And it changed Paul's life. And that's what a relationship with Jesus Christ does. It changes your life. For those of you who are here who have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your life has been changed. You are a new creation, the Scripture says. There should be some noticeable change that occurs in our life. The Scripture says that uh, we should produce some fruit. We should be able to look at one another and look at brothers and sisters or those who profess to be Christians and say, is there any fruit that is being produced in their life? We should look at our own life and say, is there any fruit that's being produced? Now, there may be some bad fruit that's being produced or there may be good fruit that is being produced. Sometimes there may be both, and we got to say, all right, Lord, there's some bad fruit just coming up in my life. There's some bad things in my heart. God, help me to get these things out and do away with these things. Now, Paul was one whose, whose life had been changed by his relationship with Jesus Christ, and he was working overtime. He did not take his grace lightly. He said that the grace that he had received was not ineffective. It was not ineffective. 
And the grace that we have received, if we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, should not be ineffective. We don't want to be those who have an ineffective grace, but we want to be those who have an effective grace, just like Paul did. An effective grace is one that, that, that lives out uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and tells that to the world so that they may be saved. An effective grace is, is one that puts all the glory back on Jesus, that puts Jesus at the center of everything. An effective grace is one that works for the Lord because an effective grace is one that realizes that, look, that's what grace is. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve the forgiveness that we have received, the love that we have received. And so an effective grace works for the Lord. <coughs> so many times we, 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 we may be deceived. Perhaps there are some in this room that have been deceived. Perhaps there is a, a misconception that just by walking an aisle and repeating a few words and being on a church roll is what saves us. But those things don't save us. Walking an aisle can't, can't cleanse the sin. Being on a church roll can't cleanse your sins and forgive you. But an acceptance of Jesus Christ is what changes your life. And sometimes, indeed, that is carried out by walking down an aisle and repeating a prayer and being on a church roll. But it's not those actions that save you. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that saves you. And Paul had experienced that. And because he had experienced that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it was causing him to do the work. The message was simple. Uh, Paul explains the, the message of Jesus Christ just in a few verses, just in two or three verses here. He explains it to the core, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Why is that good? Why does it matter? It's good because Jesus has conquered sin and he has conquered death. The things that we can't conquer, we can't do it. We can't conquer sin while we're here on this earth. There's always going to be them to, those temptations there. Even for the Christian, by the grace of God, He helps us to be able to overcome our sin. And we may overcome this sin, but there are always going to be those temptations to sin. And we just cannot escape it. But Jesus did. Ultimately, the, uh, the, we will all die. Ultimately, we will all come to the end of our life if Jesus Christ doesn't come before that. We cannot escape death. Now, I love science. I love to see advances in science. Uh, and there, there are many scientists who, who believe that one day we will be able to eventually escape death. But I don't believe that that will ever be the case. As good as science is, these bodies will wear out eventually. It's something that we can't escape. It's the punishment for our sinfulness. But Jesus escaped it. Jesus conquered the grave. Death didn't get the final say. And so when we see Paul say that Jesus has, has, has died for the forgiveness of our sins and Jesus has been raised from the dead, then that gives us hope. That lets us know that sin can be conquered, that sin can be overcome, and has been overcome. That lets us know that death doesn't have the final say. Jesus has victory over sin, and Jesus has victory over death, and Jesus shares that victory with us. That is the message of 
Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the good news that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus Christ alone, there is no other. There's nothing we can do, and there's no one else we can turn to. And you see Paul bring this message up over and over and over again. This is not just a one-time thing. Jesus is always at the center of Paul's messages. And he has to be. Jesus has to be at the center of everything. And that message will not change. That message cannot change. As long as there are human beings who are preaching the message of Jesus Christ, Jesus must be at the center of that message. We can't water that message down. We can't change that message. We can't add anything to that message. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that message has been the same as it's always been. Now, there will be, have been, and will be uh, false teachers who will teach something other than Jesus Christ. But Paul always centers everything right where it needs to be. And we need to ask ourselves the question today, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's the first question we need to ask. Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have I asked Jesus to forgive my sins? Have I accepted what God's Word says, that He is the one and only Son of God, that He died and He does have the power to forgive me? Have we accepted that message? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have done that, praise the Lord. If you've not done that, then you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to recognize that you are a sinner. Now, you're not alone. We are all sinners, myself included, every one of us. But we must repent. We must come to a place where we realize that we are sinful, but God is gracious and will have mercy and will forgive us if we come to Him and accept Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've accepted Jesus Christ and you are a Christian, then you need to ask yourself the tough question. Is the grace that I have received effective? Am I being effective in the grace that I've received? That is, am I, am I being faithful to the Lord? Am I living for the Lord? Do other people see that? Do other people uh, get to hear the good news? Do we present that good news to them? Do we present that grace to them? Do we let them know that it's not something that they can earn, that is, salvation from Jesus Christ, but it's something that is freely given? We don't want to be Christians who are ineffective. We want to be those who, like Paul, are effective in what we are doing. We want to be those who are about the work. We want to be those who are preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to ask ourselves that question. Have, are we effective in our grace that we have received? Now, Paul is laying the groundwork here for something uh, that is going to be much deeper in topic as he begins to talk about uh, the resurrection, as he begins to talk about their uh, misconceptions or things that they may have uh, misunderstood. But he closes this first introduction, this section out in verse 11 by saying, Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Paul is saying, look, you have heard the message, whether it was by me or others who are preaching the good news, who are preaching the message. And he says, you have believed. Now, he wants to make sure that these believers understand God's word correctly. 
And so do we. As we read God's Word, if we are a believer, we want to make sure we understand God's Word correctly. If you are an unbeliever, you need to understand God's Word correctly. You need to be in the Word. You need to read about Jesus. You need to see about Jesus. You need to learn about Jesus. You need to know what Jesus did for you. What, Jesus, what, what did Jesus do for us? Well, I think sometimes we, we, may, we may say, well, Jesus died on the cross or Jesus died for our sins. But what did that look like? What did that really, what did that, what does that mean? Well, as I was studying this week, I found uh, in one of the commentaries uh, that I was reading uh, uh, a description that, that as I read it, it, it really kind of, it really kind of, kind of got me thinking. It really helped me in my mind to visualize and, and realize exactly what Jesus went through on our behalf. And so I'd like to read that to you guys today. When we read that Jesus died on a cross for us, that we read that, uh, that Jesus took our sins and took the punishment that we deserve, what did that really look like? What does that really mean? Christ died... The death of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is the center of the gospel. Though the idea of glorifying or of glorying in the death of a Savior seems foolishness to the world, it is salvation to those who believe. How did Jesus die? The Roman governor executed him. The Roman government executed him by one of the most cruel and excruciating forms of capital punishment ever devised: crucifixion. Although the Romans did not invent crucifixion, they perfected it as a form of torture and capital punishment that was designed to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. What exactly was it like to be crucified? In, the day, in, the, in days the New Testament was first written, the practice needed no explanation, but we do well to appreciate just what happened in crucifixion. The victim's back was first torn open by scourging, and the clotting blood was ripped open again when the clothes were torn off the victim. When he was thrown on the ground to nail his hands to the crossbeam, the wounds were again torn open and contaminated with dirt. Then as he hung on the cross, with each breath the painful wounds of the back scraped against the rough wood of the upright beam and were further aggravated. When the nail was driven through the wrist, it severed the large median nerve. This stimulated nerve produced excruciating bolts of fiery pain in both arms and resulted in a claw-like grip in the victim's hands. Beyond the excruciating pain, the major effect of crucifixion was inhibiting normal breathing. The weight of the body pulling down on the arms and shoulders tended to fix the respiratory muscles in an inhalation state and hindered exhalation. The lack of adequate respiration resulted in severe muscle cramps, which hindered breathing even further. To get a good breath, one had to push against the feet and flex the elbows, pulling from the shoulders. Putting the weight of the body on the feet produced searing pain, and flexing the elbows twisted the hands hanging on the nails. Lifting the body for a breath also painfully escaped the back against the rough wooden post. Each effort to get a proper breath was agonizing, exhausting, and led to a sooner death. 
Not uncommonly, insects would light upon or burrow into the open wounds or eyes, ears, and nose of the dying and helpless victim, and birds of prey would tear at these sites. Moreover, it was customary to leave the corpse on the cross to be devoured by predatory animals. Death from crucifixion could come from many sources. Acute shock from blood loss, being too exhausted to breathe any longer, dehydration, stress-induced heart attack, or congestive heart failure, leading to a cardiac rupture. If the victim did not die quickly enough, the legs were broken and the victim was soon unable to breathe. How bad was crucifixion? We get our English word excruciating from the Roman word out of the cross. Consider how heinous sin must be in the sight of God when it requires such a sacrifice. However, we never speak of the physical sufferings of Jesus to make us feel sorry for Jesus, as if he needed our pity. Soon, save your pity for those who reject the complete work of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. And save your pity for those preachers who do not have the heart of Paul in 1 Corinthians. When he proclaimed the center of Christian message, we preach Christ crucified. And that's a, a powerful uh, reminder to us of, of, how, of how excruciating Jesus Christ's death on the cross was. It is a reminder to us that it's not just like he was hanging out there just waiting on time to die. Jesus suffered greatly. And that is the message. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. For a man to suffer so greatly, there's only one reason that he would do it, and that is because he loved you. That is because he knew that there was no way that you could be forgiven of your sins except for from him taking the punishment that we deserve. That was at the center of everything that Paul was preaching. And that needs to be what is at the center of your life. Have you put Jesus Christ at the center of your life? Have you accepted these things that he did for you on your behalf? Have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? If you have not done so, then you need to do so. Today is the day of salvation. There may not be a tomorrow. There may not be a tomorrow. If you've not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've not put Jesus at the center of your life, then today you need to do so. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words, and I pray that you would help us just to remember how great a price was paid so that we could be forgiven. Dear Lord, we, we are reminded of the excruciating pain of the cross here this morning. But God, let us also be reminded of why Jesus did it. It's because he loved us, God. And we thank you for his love. We thank you for the grace that we can receive because of what he did. God, I pray that if there is one here today, maybe they've never heard the good news until today. Maybe they didn't know that Jesus loved them. Maybe they didn't know that Jesus died for them. Maybe they didn't know that they were a sinner. God, I pray today that the Holy Spirit would convict their heart. Let them know that they need to change and put their faith and trust in Jesus, the one who loved them enough to suffer for them, God. I pray that you would help us. If there are some in this room, dear Lord, that are already yours, but maybe we're not living our life for you, God that we would not be those who are ineffective in living out our grace, dear Lord, but that we would be those who are effective in living out what you, have, what you have done for us. That it's a gift that we've received, a precious gift, dear Lord, this grace that we have. And we should treat that grace, dear Lord, uh, like that gift. And we should, we should 
Let that be at the center of our life, dear Lord, and drive everything we do so that we can give that freely to others. God, we don't deserve it, but we thank you for it. So God, I pray that if there's one in this room that doesn't know Jesus, that today, God, let the Holy Spirit tug on their heart. God, don't let them leave this place without putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.